Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Started a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram. And some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler. Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this week. This is, I don't know if it'll be the final, we'll see if it'll be the final, um, fully pre-regular season podcast for this show. Had on Jared Dubin, really good conversation. We talked a lot about what we're looking for at the start of the season, where things might be going, and some real meat on the kind of the middle of each conference, because the top teams, we have an idea of where things are going, we still stuff we want to watch, but really the balance of expectations and the thin margins for error in both conferences and kind of how the play-in has shifted things as well. A lot of really interesting topics here. I think you'll really enjoy it and runs about an hour. Here we go. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. We are getting very close to the start of the regular season and also getting close to the end of the preseason. Um, you've watched more of it than I have because I was I was out of the country for the first part of it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll start this with kind of a more open thing. It's always hard. There's so much more noise than signal in the preseason. Is there anything that has stuck to you that might be signal? Nope. I don't think there's any signal in preseason. I think that's totally fair. I mean, so to me, what it is, there are a couple things. So one, if a player looks like significantly different physically, so like, oh, this guy's heavy or this guy's Mm. lost a lot of weight, like that sort of thing. And I haven't noticed anybody too ridiculous on, on either end of that. And then the other is sometimes you can get a basic sense of like fundamental skill differences, but that's usually that's for me first two weeks of the regular season, not preseason. So it's like, oh, this guy's handle is way better. Or like, I mean, Anthony Edwards, I'll tell you his. So I watched the Wolves. I watched a fair amount of Wolves Nets on Thursday. His shot looks more in balance than before. I think that um, his his uh, jump shot looks a little bit it looks a little bit more balanced than it did even towards the end of last year. Not enough that I'm willing to like bet on it yet, but I was like, hmm, okay, that could be. I mean, I'm already was positive on how he looked at the end of the year, but like that could be very good for him. Definitely, if that sticks throughout the regular season for sure. And I, you know what, I saw the video of Giannis the other day where he took like a couple turnaround jumpers and a couple of like step in threes very quickly and confidently and his shot looked like much smoother you know it's still not he's not like Steph Curry out there but there was no real like he used to lean back so much when he was taking a jumper and there's a little bit less of that which means that there's less like of he has to like slingshot the ball forward so if that sticks that could be pretty valuable too yeah and something we're going to have to remember throughout this season and i'm really happy rob mahoney mentioned it actually on real gm radio months and months ago but it's so it's so important it bears repeating as much as we have to 
which is that this offseason was just as short as last offseason. It's just that it was we're on the normal calendar now. So that means there was less time for a lot of players, A, to recover from injury, and we're seeing that all over the place, and also to work on their games. So if it was a, a player who, you know, made a longer, like a conference finals run, like I don't expect to see a lot of new tricks for Trey Young because he was playing in the playoffs a long time. Wasn't it like wasn't last offseason shorter? Like I, I, I believe like they're like almost weeks. the same. This could... offseason, like the season ended in mid July, right? So we're looking at like three months. Last off, last season ended in late October, and the season started in late December. So yeah, maybe 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 it, maybe it is maybe this one is short is shorter than usual, but not as short as that. You might be right. You might be right, right on that. It's it's still a short off season. Yes, you. Like I will. We will use we will shorter. use that as the operating assumption because I, I trust yeah. you more on this than I trust my own <laughs> tired memory. It's a it's like a month and a half shorter than usual. Um, but but not quite as short as last year, I think. That 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 feels reasonable. Um, so the place that I kind of wanted to start-ish is expectations. Like, I, I think that part of what makes covering this league, following the, the NBA, just like a lot of other sports, so fascinating is that it isn't just about what you and I think and how how even how a team plays. One of the important factors that shifts everything, job stability for general managers, what players are on a team when things happen— are the expectations of owners, of players, of coaches, of everybody, really, fans to an extent in terms of whether they actually show up. And particularly in the Western Conference, I think that's going to be a major story because there are teams that are going to exceed expectations. There are going to be teams that fall behind. That happens that, 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 that happens every year. You know, it's just the, nat- the nature of things. But I think that the top of the West, if you acknowledge, if you think that the Clippers and Nuggets are going to be, or at least one of them, are going to be viable even without their best player for a long time, it's going to be harder for those, you know, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and the Wolves and the Spurs, if they are good, and the Kings to really push up into that. And so I'm going to be fascinated in the West and the East if it looks like the top stays healthier and things are more back to a sense of normal, you know, less COVID absences and all that that it's harder to break into the top than it was before. Yeah, I mean, look, in the West, I think there are probably as many as 13 teams that want to be in the playoffs um, and, you know, pretty close to that in terms of teams that are probably like we expect to be in the playoffs. Just by definition, five of them are going to be wrong. Um, You know, two of them will make the play in and then be wrong. And who knows, you know, maybe depending on like if you're the Kings, you might see that as making the playoffs. But if you're the Blazers, you probably don't. Um, But like just by definition, five teams are probably going to fall short of what the the team the internal team expectation is and then you're talking about you know expectation of fans expectation of like betting markets expectation of perhaps players on the team that want to be doing more than they've done in the past and might decide you know i don't want to be here anymore if they don't you know like if if the blazers come in and they're a playing team and out like that's certainly falling short of damian lillard's expectations and that could have you know a pretty big effect on both the blazers and the rest of the league and then you know i think you look in the east i think there are some teams that might be more susceptible to media and outside expectations than internal expectations like the hawks went to the conference finals last year is the is the conference finals now the default expectation for them it shouldn't be like i don't think they're one of the top three teams necessarily in the east 
but if they fall short of that, it might be seen as a disappointment. It's interesting that you brought them up right after the Blazers. I don't think you did that intentionally. And we saw how that affected Portland, where yeah. they they undeservedly made the conference finals once, where they got on a fortunate side of the bracket. They got they got a little bit of luck with. I mean, they they beat the Nuggets, but they had that series, and then they got crushed by an injured Warriors team. And so some people thought that's just who they were. I'm not saying necessarily that's the reason Terry Stotts got fired. There are a lot of reasons why that happened. It might be the reason why Neil O'Shea still has a job um, and was able to fire him and replace uh, Stotts with Chauncey Billups instead of that being another general manager, which is what I feel should have been the case. And maybe that's a hold on for Lillard. And with the Hawks, I could see it as a different story, partially because they're so young. And mm-hmm. that, and also like the the good fortune that they experienced was was pretty obvious. It wasn't like you know like they faced the Sixers and Joel Embiid was hurt and some of these other things. Like they played well. They they they. I will say they earned their place and that they didn't. It's not like it was gifted to them, but it was easier than expected. And for the other reason for the Hawks that I think is 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 pertinent is that. A lot of times what really matters, and over the years, you and I have discussed this quite a bit, both on the podcast and off of it, is how do how does that affect the team on the court? So, for example, if the if a team is disappointing and they have some potential pending free agents, well, then maybe, or they have cap space, then maybe they'll spend it differently or do something else. The Hawks are pretty set. Like, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. have a decision to make on Gallinari. They'll have uh, the Herder as a decision. But, like, their big pieces are pretty settled now. So I don't think that if they're, like, the sixth seed and get knocked out in the first round, I don't think Travis Schlenk is going to get fired or do something crazy. No, I don't think so either. I think it's more, like I said, about the media expectations and, like, they'll be seen as a disappointment instead of this being, like, you know, they were, what, they were the five seed last year and they happened to make the conference finals. Like, if they're the sixth seed this year in a better conference, conference that's not like the end of the world you know like i don't think that that's the default expectation for them and certainly you'd want to see them win like at least a round in the playoffs but only four teams can win around you know like it's it's not going to happen for everybody and you know i think you look at other teams like I feel like if the bulls don't make the playoffs it's going to be seen as like this massive disappointment and like are there definitely eight teams in the east that they're better than you know like I think it's an interesting team, and I think they're going to be fun to watch, especially on offense. But I don't know that you can say they're like a guaranteed playoff team. Like they're certainly not one of the top six teams in the East. I don't think. Maybe maybe you think differently, but I, I don't. You know, once you're in the play-in, like you know, unless you're the seven or eight, there's like if you're not the seven or eight, there's a less than fifty fifty chance you're going to make it. And even if you are, your chance is like I don't know, probably like fifty five, sixty percent. Like that's not a guarantee, and and you still gotta be excuse me, you still gotta be better than at least five teams to make it into the play and, and you know, I don't think that'll be that difficult because I feel like there's four teams that are going to be kind of bad at least, but you know, it's, it's no guarantee, but I think if it doesn't happen, it's going to be seen as like this catastrophic failure. Agreed. And I mean, considering the capital that the front office gave up to add the pieces, you know, DeRozan and Vooch, they gave up multiple firsts for Vooch. They gave up a single first and that young and a couple other things for, for DeMar DeRozan. That would be a a really significant consequence. And one of the other elements that concerns me about the Bulls is that I don't see them as a particularly deep team. Like they have, I think they have a pretty solid rotation when we're talking about full strength. But Mm -hmm. if, and they do have the, the duplication, you could call it for Levine and DeRozan, where they have somebody else who can run offense when, if one of them has to miss some time. 
but Tony Bradley is not a replacement for Vooch. The, they have capable forwards. I mean, I've been a Derek Jones Jr. believer for a couple of years now, but he's not really the same type of guy. Um, Caruso can fit in well next to either one of them, but he's not really, you know, he can't run the offense. That's not his strength. So, like, if you need somebody larger to step in, it's like, it's like, and now you could say that's true of a lot of the teams in the middle, kind of that middle group in the Eastern Conference. But like, for example, if we we're comparing them to, let's say, the Knicks, like the Knicks are basically, they have duplications all over the place. And one of the important duplications that the Knicks have, which is, I think, super valuable over the course of an 82-game season, is that they have a lot of creators. And so Kemba Walker is going to miss time. Fournier might as well. He dealt with lingering issues last year. They, but they still have Burks and Rose, and we'll see what Emmanuel quickly can do. And so, full strength, I probably think the Knicks are better than the Bulls anyway, but that depth over an 82-game season, it's not going to make me pick them in a playoff series necessarily if those two teams scored up, but it is really important. We've seen that in the regular season. Yeah, a couple things there. So first of all, when I came on uh, your podcast in like the late free agency period, we almost nailed exactly the Larry Markkinen for Derek Jones Jr. swap. It just happened to involve a third team and another player. So Markkinen didn't go to Portland. He went to Cleveland. But we almost got it. It ah. took us like a few minutes to come up with it. But it we got the two players right out of three, but not the destination. But we, that, that was pretty impressive on our part. I had completely forgotten about that. So thank you. Yeah. And then, you know, with the Knicks, so the, the 538 projections came out yesterday. And one of the big reasons that they are, you know, uh, better than 50-50, I think they have 63% chance of making the playoffs. And for the first time ever, their finals chances are not less than 0.1%. It's 0.6%. So, you know, one in one sixty-six chance of a parade. But they have, I believe, the deepest rotation in the league per for per the projections with nine players projected as positives and and Taj Gibson pretty close I think he's like negative 0.1 or something like that so that's like super valuable during the regular season just the ability to not put negative players on the floor this is something we talked about uh I think when we were on with, with Jared Weiss where the early Stevens Celtics that was one of their strengths they just never put bad players on the floor I think that the Knicks have the ability to do that which is pretty incredible like I think they they kind of go like 11 deep in terms of players that you can put on the floor and they're not killing you which is is a lot and then you know i think that the point of their offseason this year was to do that duplication of creators that you mentioned you know bringing in kemba and fournier instead of peyton and bullock they now have two extra guys that can actually create off the dribble you know, Kemba is going to miss time. Like he said, Rose is going to miss time. Burks is going to miss time. Like, these guys are all guys that have missed time throughout their careers. You know, Rose and Burks stayed mostly healthy last year. They both missed time, I believe, with COVID. Or maybe Burks was an injury and Rose was COVID. But you can't count on them to play all 82. Having all three of those guys plus quickly plus like if if Barrett can do more off the dribble this year plus Fournier, like all of a sudden they have way more guys to be able to create from the perimeter than they did last year when it was basically Rose and that's it. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to make life a lot easier on Julius Randle. And what the Knicks did, which I think is really positive, and it'll be, I'm so focused on how DeRozan fits in in the offense when Levine is running stuff, is that those Knicks players can shoot. So if they're, you know, if they need to be off the ball because you have somebody else, fine. You know, you can do that with Fournier. He's done, Fournier's been on ball, off ball his career. Randall has been has done both and his jump shots gotten better so that's more viable and then the other way that the Knicks have 
important duplication is at center. And they were able to survive Mitchell Robinson missing a bunch of time last year. And hopefully that doesn't happen again this year. But with Nerlens and Robinson and Taj, they have a lot of options there. And who knows, maybe Jericho Sims can step into a, like a smaller role if one of those guys goes down or even two of them. Um, so that th- that is so important for raising the floor of a defense. Like, you know, that's not necessarily the guarantee that the Knicks are as good as last year and there, you know, they had a lot of opponent three-point shooting luck, and we'll see whether that continues. I mean, I, I think back to the Raptors last year as an example of how when that swings, it can be really, it can be really dis- challenging for a franchise to overcome. And but the Knicks have a lot more; they're, they're able to survive injury volatility better, and they should do that. And so, I think that's a really po- a significant positive for them. A team that I want to talk about in terms of expectations that I've been, and this came up a lot. I did a the South Southeast Division pod with Nikai's Duncan and Mike Prada, and we talked a lot about the Miami Heat. And the Heat have a couple of different unusual elements. So one of them is given the overall age of their team, and it's not uniform like Hero and and Bam are young, but. My expectation would be, if you're kind of gaming out the roster over the next four years, you would expect, based on on, on age-related stuff, that this would be their best year. So that would, in my mind, typically make it so that the poorer they perform this year, the more disappointing it is. Because that's your best shot, and so it's like, oh god, if we're a one-round-and-out team, then that's probably what we're going to be. But the counter, which I think is going to be really hard for Pat Riley and for Spo and, and Mickey Harrison and everything else is, I don't think they're going to define success by the regular season as much. So I think it's putting so much heat on like one to two weeks in April. Uh, yeah, first of all, good pun. Um, that is putting so much heat. I didn't even think about it, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's essentially the bet that they're making, right? Like they built a team that I think pretty clearly is built to be better in the playoffs than in the regular season. Like, I don't think you can have Lowry and Butler and PJ Tucker all on the same team and be like, we're going to be a regular season team, you know, like. And and be as shallow as they are. Like, this is an extremely shallow team unless some of these young guys really step up. Right. And and like they brought Oladipo back. I don't think he's going to be ready for the start of the regular season. Maybe he comes back halfway through the year. I mean, you would expect that he'll be at his, like, he'll certainly be better for the playoffs than right when he comes back, you would hope, like, as long as he doesn't get hurt again, um, which obviously is not out of the question. But, like, you know, beyond Jimmy, Lowry, Bam, uh, Robinson, Hero, Tucker, and maybe Oladipo, who are you 100% counting on on this team? Like, you're basically building for the time when you can play seven guys, which is, like, the second round and beyond. And first of all, you got to get there. And second of all, that's like you said, a lot to put on, you know, a, a two week stretch in April or May. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a real challenge for them. And Miami, I don't see them in the same boat as some of the other like really talented teams that have kind of played that game of doesn't matter what seed we are, because Miami, I'm worried about their offense against some opponents. Uh, you know, they, this team does not have, they don't, they have, they don't have a ton of shooting and they have, I, I think incidentally, Miami's offense would struggle a lot against the defense like Miami, where they intelligent defenders know, know where they can help, know where they know where they can't help and kind of atta- attacking, attacking weak points and everything else. How many defenses are like that in the group? We'll have to see. And then I also, like, I, for example, let's say Miami ha- faces Brooklyn in a first or second round series. Like, that's just going to, even without Kyrie, I think that's going to be a major challenge for them. Some other ones, a little bit juicier. But part of why I think 
it's so perilous for these teams in the Eastern Conference is that I see more teams with kind of ground to gain, I think, than maybe others do. So like for, for me, the Celtics had this just disastrous year, COVID, everything else. Maybe Stevens was losing the locker room a little bit. I think they're a talented team. I don't think they're perfect, but I think they're a talented team. And so if they get you know back into the 50-win mix, then that probably pushes a couple teams down. And then the other one for me is Indiana. And Indiana had, now, T.J. Warren is not available now, and we don't know what his timeline is going to be, so that could be a while. And then Karis LeVert continues to be snake bit. But they upgraded a coach at, at bare minimum because he's a coach that will make them less likely to mutiny. And... I mean, I think of Carlisle as, as, a, as a very one of the league's better coaches overall. So if I'm not saying they move into the 50-win range, but if they're, you know, let's say mid-40s, then all of a sudden, if, if you're a team like the Bulls or the Heat, it's getting a little bit thornier because you have fewer, fewer easy wins and you have more teams that are kind of in your mix. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I also think, like, I know they lost Lowry, but I think the Raptors will be better this year just because they can't possibly have as bad of injury and COVID luck as they did last season. And they'll be playing actual home games like in their homes this year. Yeah, the Raptors, I've been kind of thinking, I've been thinking about that possibility as well, where, you know, everything, everything worked out poorly for them last year. They had the, you know, the injuries and COVID related stuff. Also, they had horrendous opponent shooting luck. Um, oh, yeah. So so two years ago in 1920, Raptors opponents shot 34.3% from three. Last year, 385 And when you consider the volume that they give up, that is, you know, that is that changes your that changes your success rate quite a bit. And they had worse interior defense because they, you know, they lost both of their best centers in two mm-hmm. two LA teams. But I think they have. I think they have capability. And yeah, being without Siakam for the start of the year, though, uh, the uh, I, uh, Nick Nurse was on uh, Sirius, and he said that it sounds like Siakam is closer than maybe some, including me, had thought. So that's that's good news for them. And the other thing for the Raps is like they're really well coached, and they have a lot of talent. And they've used their you know they've used their minor league system well. So. I don't think they have a ton of guys that can step like into starting roles if guys get hurt, but I think they have a lot of potential, potentially viable second string guys, and that could be important too. If you, you talk about like forty eight capable minutes, like the we're talking mm-hmm. about the Knicks and everything else, like Ken Svee or Yuta Watanabe or some of these other like kind of fringier guys that they've gotten, can some of them step in? Maybe. And so, by the way, I think that if they actually get Lavert and Warren healthy at some point, the Pacers are pretty similar. They just yes. have a bunch of guys that you could put on the floor, like uh, Lavert, Sabonis, Brogdon, Turner, uh, Warren, um, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, uh, McConnell. Uh, I think they, they signed Tory Craig this offseason. Like they just got a bunch of guys, and uh, you know we're not even talking about guys that like actually played for them last year. Like you could put O'Shea Brissett on the court, and he's not bad. You know, like it's a it's a pretty deep team if they can actually get healthy yeah that is i'm a big fan of the healthy pacers if we if we end up getting to see it and indiana you know they're kind of like a couple other teams where i'm not sure this is an optimized roster like i'm still a little bit skeptical of the sabonis turner pairing even though it has worked Mm -hmm. overall better but you know they don't have to necessarily make that decision now one of the weirdest things about the pacers is that tj warren is the only guy that they have like as a key part of the rotation that is a pending free agent next year like this team is just remarkably stable if they want to do it so if pritchard wants to keep keep kicking the can down the road they can i don't know if they will that's a possibility and while we're talking about expectations to me the the elephant in the room is the new orleans pelicans 
and we have oh, the yeah. the concerning reporting out of New Orleans on Thursday that not only is Zion, you know, Zion going to be out for a little while, we don't have a timetable there. And I, you know, I've been wondering how this Pelicans team is going to figure it out. They they kind of gave they gave Zion more of the keys by taking away some of the other creators on the roster. Like I like Devontae Graham totally fine, but Devontae can work well with Zion because he can play on and off the ball. Sadoransky, some of that type of stuff. So if let's say this is a two to four week absence in the regular season, he's going to miss more time. Like I mean, I was impressed with how much Zion played last year and. The Pelicans, I mean, I'm still don't, I don't think they solved their defensive problems, and I don't think they solved their offensive problems. So, it's a real challenge. I feel like it's not great that Griff has to come out and be like, "Well, Zion said the doctor said that he can progress to the next step." Like that seems not great to me. Um, I, I I did like how that came out, like literally right after the the five thirty eight projections came out, which was like super high on the Pelicans because the pro, the projection system loves Zion so much, and he drives obviously so much of their success, and it has him playing a lot of minutes. And then like an hour later, Griff was talking about that, so it's like yeah, they have uh, I think they have the Pelicans as like a seventy something percent chance to make the playoffs, and it's like yeah, if Zion's not playing for the first few weeks of the regular season, like you can certainly knock that down a lot and it's pretty high to begin with. Yeah, it's actually so as we're recording this, it's seventy nine percent playoff playoff chances for the Pelicans. I should have asked about a version where Zion was not ready to start the year. Although Griff had been saying we expect him back for the regular season. Oh, but but he didn't say for the start of the regular season, you just said for the regular season. Who knows? Maybe he yeah. meant the twenty twenty two regular season. Yeah. Maybe that meant that he's coming back in March apparently Apparently, like who knows? Like, it seems not great down there, um, which is not fun. You know, like they should be such a fun team with like Zion and Devonte Graham and Alexander Walker and Josh Hart and Ingram, like. And, and I want to like them. Like, Trey Murphy was one of my favorite guys in the draft. I, I like, like, I really liked him at Summer League, by the way. Like, I, I wasn't, you know, super familiar with his game because I didn't watch his college film, but he looked like a player. Apparently, he hit like 47 threes in a preseason game the other night. <laughs> um, which, you know, who knows how much that means. But, but uh, one wrinkle of this for the Pelicans is I mean, you and I, I think we talked about it in that early free agency thing that we did. David Griffin has made such a weird but potentially potentially valuable bet on the players that he already had. So basically, you know, they didn't spend a ton on getting perimeter guys who can help. They swapped out Lonzo for Devontae Graham. They brought in Sato and Garrett Temple, but presumably it, it certainly sounds like the increases are going to Kyra Lewis and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And I mean, maybe, I mean, Najee Marshall played a lot towards the end of the season, but maybe he's playing a little bit more. Uh, he, he's more of a forward, but like they didn't, they didn't go as aggressively after that. And they added Valanchunas and that's going to make certain things easier for them offensively. Well, those guys are going to have to take a, a lot more of the sh- creation burden in the immediate because the guy who we expect to do a lot of that is going to be sounds like unavailable for at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, and I do think that they tried to make a big upgrade on the perimeter. It's just that Lowry had an agreement with the heat somehow, you know, one minute into free agency. Um, and, and, and Lonzo had an agreement with the bulls. I think they could, I think they could have had an idea about the Lonzo one. Yeah, no, I mean, there was like the rumors of the Lonzo for marketing 
trade at like two straight deadlines. So I think that they knew that was going to happen. Yeah, and so for New Orleans, yeah, the idea that they could have done something else, maybe they maybe a trade could have happened, but there weren't really those type of players on the market. And I mean, I've been thinking for a while that Ingram and Zion don't mesh well enough that maybe they could have done something there. But like, are you really going to is a move involving Brandon Ingram really going to make you better in the in the immediate? Who knows? Probably I would lean towards no, just because he's he's good. And that's a, a an unusual trade. We, Nate and I have talked a lot about the challenge of the Ben Simmons trade being that Typically, you trade good players for worse players, younger players than picks, and that's exactly what the Sixers do not want to do. But it's sort of a similar thing if Griff decided to move Brandon Ingram, where they don't want to be, they don't want to trade him for picks or something like that. They want to, they would want to do it. It would be more of like those kind of lateral move trades. Have I thought about a possible Simmons for Ingram trade? Yes, I don't think it makes sense really for it, doesn't make a ton of sense overall. But that is a – the Pelicans, and this is a way that I like to think about it with when I'm kind of partially for over-unders and partially just for thinking about it is what is this team's margin for error if we assume – and you know, you kind of assume the variability with health that can happen. And so for me with New Orleans, their margin for error was extremely thin because I didn't trust their defense. I mean their defense was terrible most of last year. And they um, – and then offensively they have room to grow because I think the Zion stuff was really working – but it's going to be, but but so they had a to me they had a razor thin margin for error in terms of like the success the success that they in, in defining it the way that they intended to of like you know I would say at least make the play and ideally make the playoffs and that just gets harder now. Yeah, I mean, look, every team is going to suffer without their best player. Like yes. there are very few teams that can withstand the loss of an all star player. Like the Nets are one of them, but that's because they have three of those guys, and they probably lost the one who is least impactful in terms of his responsibilities on the team. But I mean, you saw last year what happened when, you know, like when the Lakers didn't have AD and then when they didn't have AD on LeBron or when LeBron wasn't a hundred percent, like, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult. I mean, you saw obviously what happened with the Warriors over the last couple of years, like, and now we're talking about a team that is basically carried to whatever status it can attain by the one guy, essentially in new Orleans, like, you know, Ingram is good, but he's not nearly as good as Zion. So it's like, it's super difficult. Um, you know, and then, you know, you look um, elsewhere, like the Simmons thing, you know, I- I'm glad you brought that up just in terms of like what the return would be in a trade, because that's something I wrote about uh, a little bit earlier in the summer. And I think, you know, a lot of the reason that they weren't able to make a trade is because like you look, excuse me, you look at what the return has been in trades of All-Stars. And by far the most common thing has been like that pieces and picks trade that you mentioned. Like, so I looked and found in, in 73 trades of a player who had made at least one of the previous two all-star games since 1999, 36 of them were pieces and picks trades. That's like essentially half. And if you look at the perennial all-star trades, it's 55% of those guys where the player made each of the three most recent all-star games. So, like, that's kind of what you're looking at there, and that's not going to be of interest to the Sixers because then they'll have to make, like, another trade after that to get better, you know? So it's like, and I think Ingram made the All-Star team last year or the year before, right? So, like, you're looking at, again, like, pieces and picks is the most likely thing. Like, you're not going to salary dump him, and it's, like, only 10 of the 73 trades I mentioned were, like, a star-for-star type trade. That's not a high rate, 
So like, you know, it's it's 7.5% for guys who were mere all-stars as opposed to perennial all-stars, which is what Ingram would be. Like, you're not getting another star if you try to deal him, I don't think. And that obviously makes things difficult because, you know, the elephant in the room that we either do talk about or nobody is allowed to talk about is like the whole, would Zion really take the qualifying offer thing, which I'll be shocked if he does. But, you know, as people have said, like, if there's anybody that will, it's him. But, you know, that all of that has to play into this. It does. I mean, the concept from, you know, from Gail Benson on down of what is the timeline here? What is the, what is the window is exceedingly important because and some of that is what does Zion want? And we have not seen players in, you know, years ago. I wrote a piece for Real GM or advocating for a different New Orleans Pelican to take his qualifying offer because I thought the franchise was so poorly run and wouldn't win around him. And Anthony Davis did not do that. Anthony Davis signed the contract just like Carl Anthony Towns and other players. And I think the Pelicans have done better around Zion than those other two teams did around those star- young stars. But I don't think that the increase in quality from that makes as much of a difference because it really the, the, the fundamental question that these young stars need to be asking themselves is, can I figure out a way? Is there a reasonable path for this team to reach the level of competitiveness that I think is worthy of my time? And I don't know whether for Zion that's winning a round in the playoffs or being a, you know, a potential team that can win a title. I don't know. And he can, he can draw that line wherever he wants. And different players do it very differently. Damian Lillard is a really interesting example of this too. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But the Pelicans, it's going to take basically to me massive internal improvement to get them to the like, if, if his threshold is winning a round or two in the playoffs, like, that's a pretty long way from where they have been, even if he improves a lot. Because can they make it into the eight with the team pretty much as structured? Yeah, but the top four teams in the West are going to be really competitive. And to beat one of them despite not having home court, it's going to be an undertaking. And getting there, so could Kyra Lewis or Nikhil or Trey Murphy get to the point where you have like a lot of depth and you have more starting quality players? Sure. Totally, totally possible. And I would love to see it. That'd be a thrilling development. And it's also true that the Pels have, they have a fair amount of draft capital. So they could theoretically convert some of that draft capital into into present players. But a big challenge for, for New Orleans, which I've brought up before, is that unlike Oklahoma City, because of Oklahoma City's diversified portfolios, the terminology I've usually used, where they have picks from a variety of teams, most of the quality that... The, that they that the Pelicans have in the near term is from the Lakers. Like most of their pick equity in the next three years is from the Lakers, and we expect the Lakers to be good the next three years. So, is another team going to give you a high end player for that? Only if they think the Pelicans are going to be bad, and then you're kind of running you're running against yourself. And yeah, they have a couple of bucks picks down the line. They have the the you know the Drew picks. I think it's twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, or something in that, and twenty seven in that range. That's too distant for now. Like that, you're just—it's just too hard. Like, yeah, if you're going to make a trade, but you're not going to get a premium on that because teams don't know where in the hell the Bucks are going to be. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that some of these young stars are getting so good so quickly now that it's accelerating the timeline that teams are used to in terms of like how quickly they have to be able to compete. Like guys are starting to agitate about being a competitive team, like while they're still on their rookie deal, when realistically you've been trying to build for that team for like their prime, which should be, you know, like 24 to 29 or so. But that's like already the second deal by the by that time and it's like these guys are so good so quickly that you're having to to accelerate things and that can work both ways like if you don't get it immediately right on the first shot it can be pretty damaging yeah that's very true let's go back to the uh, like the idea of expectations and we've, we've brought up we've danced around Lillard and, and I want to start with somebody else but those are other expectations that matter are veteran star players who have a choice to make and Lillard's under contract for years so he has a little bit less of a voice in the matter but certainly appears that he has some but the other guy that I want to start with is Bradley Beal and so part of the reason that a Simmons trade has not yet happened I think is because Daryl Morey thinks that Beal might be on the market eventually not right now so I mean, with Beal, again, we talked about the idea of it's what does a player want, and he can theoretically sign an extension, or he can not. You know, he can kind of kind of do whatever. Um, and it's a really nuanced decision for him. It's what does he want to do, what, what options are on the table, but also for the Wizards. And, like, it kind of seems to me like Ted Leonsis and Shepard are saying, you know, like, whatever Brad wants to do. But at a certain point, like, and I think this point was two years ago, I would have said, even if he wants to stay, we're not that kind of team. If, like, you look at the hall that Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday got and some of the other, you know, like, low-end stars at that time, like, that's a way to reset the Wizards. So how are you thinking about that overall situation? Oh, I guess we'll find out when we find out whether or not he takes the Supermax that they're going to offer him in, what is it, four days? It's really now? close, yeah. Right? So I think we'll get a lot of information pretty soon it's also like the consistent message from everyone in like close to him to anyone that's reporting anything has been like he doesn't care he wants to stay in washington which is interesting like there's not even been the inkling of like in the dame situation where like maybe he's not thrilled about xyz um so i do think that that part is interesting like there's been no sign of agitation about anything so why are we you know devoting not necessarily devoting so much time to it but like should teams be angling for him to start agitating if no i don't even really know what i'm trying to say at this point but like, it's like should should teams have him in their plans when he's not putting himself in, in their plans right like even with for example like he's not on the same tier as a guy like Giannis, where even if there's no sign that he's going to agitate at any point to get out it's worth devoting all your plans to the possibility of it happening like you know miami and dallas and toronto did heading into you know before last offseason like i think that was still worth it for them because that's like a top five franchise changing guy at like 25 years old that you know potentially coming available uh, i don't think beal is that and, and you know same way it was worth it when teams did it for lebron or when 
and teams were going to do it for Anthony Davis. But if it's a guy who's like, you ideally, I think, want him to be like your second best guy, like, do you still do that the same way or do you turn your sights elsewhere and like try to get somebody else for that like it's it's a really tough decision i think because he's really really good and like obviously if you can get him you want to be able to do that but also is it worth putting all your eggs in that basket if it might not happen and there are other similar guys you can try to get and along those lines I mean, it was something that came up before the Drew Holiday trade was the idea that there aren't that many teams with the combination of assets and desperation to make a deal like this. And yes, we have seen Drew Holiday, you know, that move happened that seemed like an unusual situation, but it worked out beautifully for Milwaukee. I would classify Kyle Lowry differently, especially because he was a pending free agent. And, you know, it's not like they gave up a ton. Precious will be a nice fit with the Raptors. I I think they'll be, be, I'm sure the Heat are sad to lose him, but that's not the same caliber. So could the Sixers be that team? Sure. Could Are there a couple others that, that might potentially establish themselves that I, I think Beal fits a lot of places, but it's always the idea of it. fit is not enough. It's how, how desperately does that team need you? Do they have the resources? And I... I, I wonder where that's going to come from and and who is the, you know, because like Dallas is asset poor right now. So that's a, that's a harder move for them. And like a lot of, there are a lot of other teams in that mix. But so something I wanted to run by you is, I mean, I've thought about a Simmons Beal, you know, not saying that's the entire deal, but a Simmons Beal foundation for a while now. As Washington, I mean, I think you could say as Philly, like there are a lot of reasons that makes sense. You get a kind of a complimentary star who pairs really well with Joel Embiid offensively and who can kind of do on and off ball. But as Washington, if you if you end up making the decision, whether it's a week from now or three months from now or six months from now, that, well, six months is a problem, but like three months from now that you're not going to keep Bradley Beal. Are you looking for someone like Ben Simmons? Because the thing about Simmons is he... He raises your floor right now, and maybe they think that's a good thing, but maybe they think that's a bad thing because maybe this is like where you start to drop it out and really build your build your base for the next great Wizards team. Yeah, I think that this is something that we talked about like early in free agency as well. Part of the issue is that he's already on his second contract, which means he both makes a lot of money, which makes it somewhat harder to build around him in the future, and also means that when he hits the end of his contract, he'll be an unrestricted free agent, which means that you have to start the whole process again with him in terms of like potentially agitating to one out within like two years. So I do think that makes it difficult to center him as like the guy who was the center of the package for, you know, a Brad Beal or Damian Lillard, because, you know, you could wind up in the same situation in a very short amount of time, as opposed to like, let's say, you know, you're trading like a, who's like a, you know, a young star that is not on an extension yet, like whoever that guy may be. Let's say like, let's say you're trading like a who was, let's say you're trading LaMelo, never going to happen, but you get seven, eight years worth of that guy, and he's still on the rookie deal. You have the cap space to be able to build around him. You have the flexibility. In all likelihood, he's going to sign the extension, and then you have the four or five-year runway there. None of that is the case with Simmons. So it makes it, I think, you know, a little bit more difficult as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the reason I brought up the floor raising for Washington is that while I am of the belief that if the Wizards trade Beal, that they should, you know, take a couple years and see see what which of your gun guys can be competitive. I like Daniel Gafford quite a bit. We'll see with Hashimura and Denny Avdia. And I think Kuzma is going to blossom to an extent there. I think that there's he'll have the opportunity to spread his wings a little bit, which is important. And I and I love Spencer Dinwiddie. So like they might be closer. But 
Ted Leonsis has consistently shown that he would rather be a middling team and be competitive than go all the way down. And so I actually think ownership is such an important part of this conversation and they that Simmons might interest him because he's capable defensively. He can be that lead offensive guy that none of those other players really have shown the capability other than maybe other than Dinwiddie if he can get there, but maybe you move him too. And so I think that could be that could be there, but I'm not sure of it. And there's an easy argument against it, an argument that you pretty much just made. As you've stated many, many times, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so uh, a question that you and I often talk about, I I try to end pods with this, is what are you looking for? What teams, what players are you going to be watching over the next couple of weeks? So this is the start of the season. You're building out a battle plan. I know for me, part of it is just watch everybody, and if that's your plan, more power to you. But do you have any particular things that you're going to be really keying on as we begin here? Yeah, I mean, I try to get a sense of everybody for at least the first half of the year. Like, I try to obviously watch the teams that I expect to be there in the end more than the teams that I expect to be, you know, competing for ping pong balls. But, like, I try to watch everybody a good amount of time, so I have a handle on everything. You know, I cover the whole league, not just one team, so I'm trying to to know, you know, as much as possible about every possible team. There's obviously teams that interest me more and teams that don't like, you know, because I grew up a Nick fan, I'm going to be naturally more interested in them than other teams. But also like there are some teams that I find aesthetically pleasing to watch and some teams that I really don't. So like, you know, in in that sense, there will be teams that I pay more attention to than not also. And then just some of it is determined by the schedule, like who's going to be in New York playing the Knicks or the Nets that I can go and see them in person and maybe, you know, potentially try to do some reporting and write about them. So it's, it's more about that than it is about like specific things I might be looking for. Although I do try to keep an eye on teams that made significant changes in the off season. I try to keep an eye on them earlier in the season than teams that like, I know for the most part what they're going to be, you know, like for example, like the Suns and Jazz brought back pretty much their entire rotations from last year. I can wait until a week or so into the season because, you know, I I have a pretty good idea of what they're going to look like Um, as opposed to like, who made significant like the heat made you know obviously a significant change bringing in lowry the bulls made significant changes like i'm gonna want to get an eye on them and within their first couple games um you know even if i don't necessarily wind up watching the bulls as much as the jazz over the course of the season totally makes sense to me the only thing that i'll add in is the beginning of the season is the point when i'm the most meticulous in terms of my kind of like let's call it planning because I have I have a couple of goals. So one thing is I want to watch at least a half, ideally two separate halves of each team in the first two weeks. Because you're trying to get a sense of, you know, who's looking good, everything else. And the more competitive, the better. And that ties in with the other part for me of why I'm meticulous is that when I can, and of course, some of it is you're tied to when you're available, you know, like with, with all of my obligations sometimes. And I, I watch a fair amount with Synergy and everything else like that, so I can watch it after the fact, though. You have the challenge then of typically knowing the result. And so then that it just changes things. You know, it's like you, you if you know that the Bucks won by 20, well, then you're, you're not going to be watching it the same way as if you don't know what happens. But so the other thing that I try to do when possible in the first couple weeks of the season is I try to find a game that I that has a hook for me. And typically that hook is a similar level of opponent. So I would much rather watch Minnesota against like 
Sacramento or San Antonio or maybe one of the teams that's a little bit more established for the eight seed than to watch them against like Philadelphia or the Warriors. Where it's like, okay, I'm not going to learn as much from that game. No, it might end up being that sometimes you actually do see a lot from when those teams face somebody a lot better or a lot worse. Like the, the Wolves play Houston early in the season. I might actually end up watching a fair amount of that game. But the idea basically being... I, I need to calibrate everybody, and generally speaking, the closer those teams are matched, the easier it is for me to assess both teams. And so I'm going to try to get those. So, like, for example, league, what I call League Pass opening night, the second day of the season, Washington plays Toronto. I need to figure out what I think of both of those teams, and they might be relatively similar levels. I'm more inclined to watch that game than I am to watch either of those teams against somebody else. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I tend to try to do the same thing, uh, just in terms of like watching teams of similar quality. Like if I have to watch the Thunder, I'd rather watch them against the Rockets than against the Lakers. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm first of all, I might as well watch, knock out both of those bad teams in one night, and second of all, I'd rather watch a game that's likely to be competitive than one that's or competitive in terms of close than one that's not likely to be competitive really at all. Uh, I do though, like, so I don't, um, like I try not to flip around between games. Like if I'm going to watch a team, I'd like to watch the whole game. Um, so, uh, you know, years ago I just started, like my thing is just, I watch two games a night. Like that's just what I do. And I'll mm-hmm. pick whatever the two games are. And that within that, I will try to get, you know, around the same number of games for teams in the same tier of contention and I'll reset those tiers like every few weeks or a month or so just so like if a team is a lot better than I expected like last year I had you know the Knicks in the lowest tier of teams to start the season and then by the time we were you know a month or so in I was like all right I'm moving them into the middle tier into the you know the the below average tier and then I moved them into the you know average to above average tier over the course of the season so I watched a lot more of them than I expected to and I'll do the same thing this year where you know I'll break the teams into like the relative expectation I have for them and I'll set you know a target number of games that I want to watch for each of those teams and the you know the number could change for each team over the course of a year yeah I, I so for me I I I think that's a really great approach. I I generally do it half by half, and part of it for me is that I'm a prisoner of the moment at times, and I like to watch the second half of competitive games. So I would, so I do like, for example, in the first, I, I try to find have a way that it's easier to do that on the West Coast. Yeah, that's probably true. And so I do generally of the early games, I do one like one half of a game as my primary, and then I might have one that I flip to only really when the other game is on commercial. And then I, for the second half of those games, then I start to break it out and be like, okay, I can do this, can do that. And then what, what's so funny is that doing it that way, especially in the early season, ends up with me watching a lot of very specific teams. So, for example, the Orlando Magic are one of the teams that regularly play in that four Pacific, seven Eastern time slot. And there aren't that many teams that – because a lot of teams start at the thirty. And so I end up watching, like, because if you start and you're like, okay, my my workday starts at at this time. So I end up watching a ton of teams like the Magic. And I think the Hornets are on the – the Hornets start at at 7 Eastern. And those – and then on the West Coast, it ends up being a lot on league pass nights of, like, the Sacramento Kings. Because the other – like, the a lot of the other teams on the West Coast are high profile. They play a lot of national games. And the teams – that's the other one that I'll add in. 
teams that play a lot on Thursdays, I generally don't watch as much the rest of the week because A, the Thursday games are usually pretty high profile, and B, there aren't as many other games, so I don't have many choices. That's true. Um, And I guess, you know, just depending on um, who is in New York at a given time, I'll see those teams more often than others. Sure. You know, oh, just, by, by the way, OKC Houston play on Friday. Do they really? Yeah. Okay. I know what I'm. I know at least one of the games I'm watching on Friday. Then. <laughs> yeah, and the other one might be Suns Lakers. That's the that's one of the late games. And of course, one of the games at four at at four Pacific seven Eastern hosting the Orlando Magic. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it Charlotte against the Magic? Unfortunately, no. It's New York Orlando. Oh, the Knicks. Oh, right, 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 right. But I that's mean, that's it. those teams aren't similar enough levels. I will not. I probably will not watch that game. I might be at that game. No, it's in Orlando. Unless oh. you're. No, no, I'm not going to Orlando. I think they might play the Magic early in the season at home. Oh, yeah, they do. But it's on a Sunday, I think. So I won't be at that game. <laughs> okay, well, I'll let you go. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can read his work all over, including 538 had a piece that came out on the Bucks repeat chances and the models and everything else like that so i thought that was really fun we talked a little bit about that in this podcast and it's a great reason to follow jared on twitter as well at j-a-d-u-b-i-n and the number five because he has an authory page and so his his writing and basketball work is all over his nfl work is at cbs and if you're into football you can check that out as well so you can see everything in one place which i think is pretty cool lots of course going on in basketball at the moment between pro basketball starting and i know everything i'm starting to hear a little bit of the buzz for college guys and everything else so it's it's always exciting this time of year to kind of see everything get going so of course you can follow a lot of that with me if you want to support real gm radio there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can subscribe download every episode whatever podcast player you use spotify apple whatever really do appreciate that and also you can help other people find the show whether that is leaving a rating leaving a review in the podcast player we're choosing or just telling people about the show. Hey, this episode is really good, or the thing in general, because even though this show has been around a long time, there's still people who don't know about it and everything else. So really do appreciate all that. Of course, you can also check out my other work. I am back from my honeymoon, so I should be writing again pretty soon, but also going strong with Dunked On. Nate and I are doing Dunked On Prime, doing the public episodes as well. And who knows, maybe we'll have some other things if you follow us on Twitter. You might see some things in the future, which will will be fun, more ways that you can interact, that you can connect with the stuff that we do and more stuff. So that'll be really fun coming out in the near term. And as I mentioned, I should be writing more soon. I have a couple pieces like as I was getting back that I'm like, okay, I want to try to do this in the first little bit. So that's my my hope moving forward. We'll see how quickly getting in season. Jared and I talked about this about the first two weeks are really intense because it's trying to watch as much as you can, get as much of a sense. And I really look forward to it, especially this year where I've gotten less of the preseason than I usually do. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. I promise you that if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I have a couple different ways that I do that, but I've been go- I've actually been going through some of the older ones that I didn't have the chance to respond to. It's so late at this point, but I read them then and I read them again now, which I really do appreciate. So that's enough for now. I don't know the timing of Real GM Radio for next week. Oh, and I'll also mention, apologies, it's so late, uh, that I, because I was on my honeymoon, I didn't fully promote last week's episode, which was the Northwest Division podcast with Adam Aris and David Locke. I'll put out a couple of tweets about that now. It's evergreen and it's excellent. So I hope you really listen to that as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
Celebrate Heart Healthy Month at ShopRite. Find heart healthy favorites in store or online at unbeatable prices. And go to ShopRite.com slash well every day to discover wellness experts, meal inspirations, and trends. Shop nutritious. Shop delicious. Shop wellness. ShopRite. Do it for the team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And campouts. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.